I'm April. Um, I'm Bobby. Um, we've been married for almost four years this year, and the first few years of our marriage were pretty difficult. Um, instead of being able to meld in with one another, we decided to add kids really quick, so it made it kind of difficult. I think that at that point, I would go home and... Really critique He wasn't doing what I thought he should be doing as a man, as a leader of the home. She didn't do what I thought she should be doing. <laughs> and so I began the next few months um, really trying to change him into what I felt like God wanted him to be. Which, and it wasn't my job. Which, which, which ultimately, I started rebelling sincerely. Um, I didn't I didn't want to put all my faith in God. I had a lot of insecurities there. I, I really wasn't, you know, I just wasn't sure. Um, so I started dabbling and diving into uh, a really hurtful time in our marriage. Um, uh, I committed adultery and uh, she came to me uh, with all due respect and asked me if I had done it and I, uh, I admitted to what I had done only because she obviously had enough strong will in her and enough God, enough of God's characteristics to uh, tell me that this could be worked through and, and we could you know, truly get past this as long as I could tell the truth and um, being honest and uh, just letting her know that I did do it, but having her support as well to give me the strength to want to believe that we could work through something so deep. And uh, we uh, started attending Hope when that pretty much uh, started evolving. And uh, we really looked at Hope like something that could truly change our life and change our marital status. And, you know, my small group played a huge role in me forgiving him and um, him, he and I really working things out. And I mean, they were just amazing. And I think Bobby seeing the way those girls surrounded me loved and, and loved me and that that made him feel like, hey, I really need something like that. A lot of men are truly reserved when it comes <laughs> to trying to open up or even find a small group. Uh, and I would like to just encourage all men to really try and dive into a small group for the sole reason that they're out to help, they're out to be there for you, they're out to fellowship for you and truly make a change in your life. And just to feel loved from, from someone that doesn't even know you. Someone who is willing to look at you and take you for who you are and to really run with that. And whatever flaws that you have, you're accepted as is. And I believe that uh, it's a wonderful thing. We have started growing sincerely in our, in our love for one another and, and in our relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and it wouldn't, we would have never gotten through this without God, with, without the, the power of, of prayer, without faith, without belief. Without um, forgiveness. Oh, forgiveness is so huge. <laughs> I've learned forgiveness now. That is... Let me tell you one thing. That's not just... I don't think that's just the lesson for him. I think that was the biggest lesson I've ever learned is the freedom in forgiveness. Definitely. Because now that I have been forgiven for such a 
huge crime in the sanctity of marriage. Um, I now truly, oh, I forgive people so much more now. <laughs> it's so nice to be able to have that back in you, to be able to actually say that you forgive someone and really feel it and, and can truly let it go and, and move forward. And uh, I love my wife sincerely. Um, she's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And uh, they're holy. You know, our wives are truly holy. They are um, everything and anything that we need. Uh, they're the star in the sky that we look up to. They're the ones who truly uh, mean the most to us. And they're the, I believe that if we take care of our women like God says we should, um, you have no idea how well God will bless you, truly. This weekend, we've been in this series, He Said, She Said, God Said, and I've been beating up on the men a little bit, and I've seen so many men this week at the gym and at Target and every place. Let them have it this week, Mike. So, you know, they're expecting me to bring it big time. And, uh... So I, this week, I'm going to begin to talk to the women about men. And just so you know, it's a lot easier for me to talk to the men. It's not hard for me to talk to the men about how to be a better man. But, you know, when it comes to talking to women, I feel a little bit in, incompetent because <laughs> this may come as a surprise to you, but I've never been a woman. You know, so I don't know what you feel. Now, I've dressed up like a woman. In fact, check out this picture. There's me and Carl, Sonny and Cher at the big volunteer appreciation. That's a good-looking woman right there, right? I'm just telling that is so ugly. I, was, I saw that picture. I was so glad God made me a man because I was an ugly woman, right? I've never, I've dressed up like a woman. I've never acted, my mom is here this week, and she just saw that. So uh, the EMTs are coming in right now to take care of that. But, but I've never actually been a woman, so I don't see things from your perspective, and those, there's a lot of stuff I don't know from your perspective. And I realize this weekend and next weekend, I am probably going to say some things that are going to come across as insensitive to you. I'm going to go ahead and apologize ahead of time. But this weekend, I come to you in fear and trembling <laughs> as a man on behalf of men to talk to you ladies about what we need from you. And I know that for many of you ladies, at some point in my talk, you're going to begin to throw up some walls of defense, you know. And you're going to be thinking things like, well, Mike, I would be more than happy. You always do the head bob. I know how it does. Mike, I'd be happy to do what you're asking us to do if he would just, right? And let me just say this. If that's the defensive posture that you're going to take this weekend, to be honest, the next few minutes we're going to spend together, it's going to kind of be a waste of time. And I will tell you this, if that's your, uh, that's your defensive posture, nothing in your relationship with your man is ever going to change. So let me just say the same thing to you that I said to the men. Uh, ladies, you're not responsible for your husband. You're not responsible for the man in your life. You're not responsible for their actions, their behavior, their response, their reaction. You are recalled to be obedient to what God has called you to do as a woman of God. And so I'm going to lay out not what he said or she said, but we're going to talk about what God says, and you're going to have to decide what you want to do with it. If you have your Bible, let's go over to Genesis chapter 2. There's some really cool information there about how God originally designed men. Uh, by the way, as you're turning to Genesis chapter 2, hopefully it won't take you long to get there. It's the first book in the Bible. It's probably about the second page. Um, as you're turning over there, understand we're looking at a unique passage because this is before the fall. This is before sin entered into the world. That means that as we look at man here in this context, we're looking at man is God originally created him to function and to operate. So let's begin Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, the Lord God took the man, talking about Adam, 
and put him in the Garden of Eden. Now, why did he do it? Look, look what it says. To work it and take care of it. And I point that out because a lot of people believe that this concept of work, it was a result of sin. It was part of the curse because of the fall. In fact, I used to think that before the fall, you know, Adam and Eve, they didn't have anything to do. They just kind of hung out in the garden, you know, catching some rays, playing cornhole, maybe throwing the frisbee around, right? But it was in that perfect environment of a sinless environment before the fall, before the curse, that God put inside of Adam. He put inside of man this desire to work. Verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So God told Adam, hey Adam, part of your job is to name the animals. And Adam was probably like, well God, why do you want me to name them? And God says, well, name them whatever you want. It's your job. And I'm sure Adam responded, but what if I get it wrong? You can't get it wrong. I am delegating this responsibility to you, Adam. You are the leader. Just take charge. Name the animals. So I don't know how it went down. Maybe, maybe Adam whistled and all the animals lined up and, and he named the animals. But I want you to see that God put into Adam this desire to take charge. He put into Adam this desire to lead. In other words, God programmed Adam to move into his environment in a meaningful way and began to make things happen. In fact, go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. This is what it says. God blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. That's a man's word, by the way, subdue. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over li every living creature that moves on the ground. That's God's way of saying to Adam, you're going to be the man. You're going to be the ruler of the earth. I am delegating to you, Adam, all authority. You name the animals, Adam. You call the shots. This is your responsibility. You're the man. You're the leader. You're the ruler. Now, this is what's interesting. You don't find Adam resisting that. You don't fi find him saying, oh, I don't want to do that, or pushing back against that. And it's because part of God's image that he placed into man when he created him was this desire and this motivation to work and subdue and rule and lead. By the way, let me just say this. Ladies, there's a reason why if your husband loses his job, it's not like it is for you if you lose your job. And it's because when God created men and God created women, understand there's something in your husband that's not in you. In fact, there's something in him that, that meshes his work with his identity to such a degree, I really believe it's impossible to pull the two apart. I think it's impossible to separate the two. That's why I think it's unrealistic to say to a man, your identity shouldn't be wrapped up in what you do. Your identity should be wrapped up in who you are in Christ. And I'm just going to tell you, my identity should be wrapped up in who I am in Christ. But you got to understand who I am in Christ is a man who has been programmed to move meaningfully into my world and to impact it and to change it and to make progress. See, ladies, you got to understand that's who we are in Christ. And as men, we just can't pull the two of those apart. We can't separate it. And it's because God made us that way. That's what he put into us. But God isn't finished with this yet. Because then God brought a woman alongside this you know, this ruling, leading, subduing kind of guy. And God brought Eve in one day and said, how do you like her? And Adam's like, I like her. Because remember earlier, God said, check out all the animals and see if you find a mate there. And Adam's like, I got nothing there. I mean, I see nothing, God. So God creates Eve and he's like, wow, wow, wow. Now we're talking, right? So she's here. And, and, and God says, she will be your helper. 
And God's like, well, what's she going to help me? I need to eat. Adam's like, what's she going to help me do? And God says, well, she's going to help you lead. And she's going to help you rule. And she's going to help you subdue. She's going to help you take care of the environment. So understand, in this perfect world, we have this perfect situation. We have man with responsibility, and he loves his responsibility. In fact, he is finely tuned to carry out that responsibility. And then we have a woman who was created to help this man carry out his responsibility. And she is finely tuned to be a great helper, to be a great supporter. And together, they're to carry out their orders. They're to take care of the entire world. This is, this is perfection. This is how God designed it, and it was absolutely perfect. Now, ladies, let me just let you know there's a reason I'm boring you with this and pointing all of this out to you. And it's because when it comes to men, it's not our fault that we are the way we are. Just like it's not your fault that you are the way you are. It's the way God made us. It's the way God designed us. It's the way he wired us up. And you need to know that in every man, even the most passive man, there's, there's this part of the image of God. And that's what makes us want to move uh, meaningfully into our world and make an impact. That's what just naturally makes us want to lead and want to develop and, and want to subdue. We just want to do that. It's how we're wired. And let me just say this. When a Christian man surrenders that desire to God, it's amazing how God can use that driving force in the world to do amazing things. Billy Graham's a great example. Billy Graham was a man that God wired into this desire to lead and develop and subdue. And he, he, he committed that back to God. He surrendered it back to God. And there are literally millions of people now that are in the kingdom of God because Billy Graham took what God had wired him to do, surrendered it to God, and God used it for his glory. Jim Hawking, the man that we partner with in Africa, another example. If you've ever been around Jim, he's just a man's man. And God wired into him this desire to lead, to develop, to subdue. And he yielded it to God. And God said, well, then fine, go to Central African Republic. And there he's, he's dealt with people. He's worked with people. He's drilled wells. He's, he's trained pastors. And literally thousands of people who would have never had fresh drinking water, thousands and thousands and thousands of people who would have never heard the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, they're in the kingdom of God. They are our brothers and sisters because he yielded this desire and God has used it to accomplish amazing things. But you got to understand this. When that desire and when that passion isn't surrendered to God, it gets all out of whack. And it can get all discombobulated and it's because, hey, we're fallen creatures. And that's why in our culture we have men who are terrible bosses. And that's why we have men who misuse their power to gain more power. And that's why we have men who abuse their wives and their children physically and emotionally, right? And it's because every man is going to find an outlet to do what God created him to do. Every man is going to find an outlet to subdue and conquer. Every man is going to find an environment where he can lead, where he can be in charge, where he can dominate. you got to understand, it's this desire in us to fulfill the image of God that he's put in us. We can't help it. God made us this way. It is in us. And ladies, this is what I want you to understand this weekend. That desire, <laughs> who we are and what God has placed in us, it will be expressed somewhere. Now, if things would have gone as God intended, there wouldn't be any problem. <laughs> I mean, Adam was in his sweet spot. It was what he was created for. He's got this incredible helper. 
They're on their way to ruling the earth, subduing the earth. By now, they're probably wearing, you know, life is good t-shirts. But then something happens. Satan shows up. He tempts Eve. She eats the fruit. And then look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and it says, She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Notice that phrase, who was with her. I point that out. For some reason, we think Adam wasn't there. For some reason, we think that Adam was off doing something else in the garden, right? And Eve went and found him and tricked him into eating the fruit. Nope, he was standing right there, like, you know, just right there. And she said, you try it. And he tried it, and he ate it. Now, this is what's interesting. When you get to Genesis 3.17, God pronounces a curse. Now, we think of curses, we think of a witch putting a curse. No, but God says, I'm going to pronounce a curse. Verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. See, up until now, it wasn't like that. Up until now, it was like going to the farmer's market. Everything was green. Everything was beautiful. Everything was lush. But now that's changed. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is basically what God said to man. Because you disobeyed me, because you did what I told you not to do, and that was to eat of the tree, your environment will be cursed. Up until now, your environment has cooperated with you. But understand, Adam, from here on out, it is going to be an uphill battle. It is going to be a struggle every day of your life. You're going to toil and toil and toil. You're going to work and work and work. You're going to struggle and struggle and struggle. You're going to put in 50, 60, 70 hours a week. After years of working and working and working and struggling and struggling and struggling, you're finally going to scrape enough money together to retire, and then you're going to die. And you're going to become dust again. And you're going to live every day of your life with that foreboding frustration. What's the point? See, women, you got to understand, that's why men sometimes will say, what's the point? And you're like, what do you mean, what's the point? You've got me, you've got the kids. See, women are wired differently. But men live with this foreboding frustration. The best it's ever going to get is we're going to work every day. We're going to be frustrated in our environment. And one day we're going to die and we're going to return to dust. So God curses the environment. And so here we are in 2013. And as men, we have this responsibility to provide for our family, and we get all geared up, and we say, I'm going to be a great provider. So we set goals, and we read books, and we, we, you know, we subscribe to the Harvard Review, and we attend conferences, and we get all pumped up so that we can do our jobs better, do our jobs more effectively. And we get out there, and we give it everything we've got, only to discover, just like God said, our environment has been cursed. People don't return our calls. People don't buy what we're selling. Our boss won't cooperate with us. And it seems that every day is a battle. Every day is a struggle. Every day is filled with frustration. And you got to understand, we live with this tension because the image of God is inside of us going, I want you to rule, I want to lead, I want to subdue, I want to make progress. But our environment just will not cooperate. It's cursed. But ladies, you got to understand, not only did God curse our environment, he also put a curse on our relationship with you. Genesis 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. 
with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Now, I've never read that verse and heard a woman say, that wasn't a curse. Every woman said, yep, that was a curse, right? Look at the rest of verse 16. Your desire will be for your husband. I mean, it's almost as if he changes subjects, you know. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. And you would hear that and you think, well, that's not a curse. That's a good thing. A wife's desire ought to be for her husband. Verse 16, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. But what does that really mean? What that verse actually means is this. Your desire will be to control your husband. Your desire will be to overthrow your husband. But just so you know, part of the curse, he will rule over you. And I say that because of this word desire. In the Hebrew, it only shows up two other places in the Old Testament. And in both places, it's used with the meaning to overthrow something or to rule over something. I'll give you an example. Turn your page over to Genesis chapter 4. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? Remember Adam and Eve? They had children. They had two boys. They had Cain. They had Abel. Abel was a shepherd. He had a flock. Cain was a gardener, right? He was a farmer. And they were to make sacrifices to God. And Abel, being a shepherd, he brought the best of his flock because God said, Blood must be shed. It needs to be that kind of sacrifice. So he makes a sacrifice to God, and God accepts the sacrifice, and he's pleased. Cain's a farmer. He's thinking, well, I'm going to bring the fruit of my labor. So he brings some tomatoes, some cabbage, you know, some rutabagas, and he says, here it is, God. And God says, nope, that's not what I said. I'm not happy with it. And so God is upset with Cain for being disobedient. That's the context. So you get to Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? See, Cain's mad because God wouldn't accept his offering. Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires, there's our word, it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. What does that mean? It means, this, hey Cain, sin is crouching at the door and it desires to overthrow you. It desires to conquer you, but you can't let it. You got to rule over it. Of course, we know that Sin won the day, right? And Cain killed Abel. Now let's go back to Genesis 3.16. God gives us a curse, and the curse is this. This is what he says. Not only is your environment going to be a struggle as you try to move forward, as you try to rule, as you try to subdue, as you try to conquer it, you are also going to experience conflict with your number one helper. There's going to be tension with your number one supporter. Now she's not going to think that all your ideas are great. Now she's not going to always be 100% supportive. Now she's going to question you. Now she's going to remind you when you blow it. Now she's going to remind you that her way was actually better than your way. My point is, and this is what you need to understand, ladies. Because of the curse, there is this desire in you to control and overthrow your husband. And right now, some of you are thinking, man, I wish my friend was here to hear this. Or I wish my sister was here. I mean, she is such a nag, and she's so negative and critical. In fact, I don't even like to get together with the family because it's such a tense situation because she's so disrespectful to her husband. Understand, this isn't just for your friend, okay? This isn't just for your sister who controls and dominates her husband. All of you ladies, as sweet and innocent as you may appear when you come to church, yeah, you clean up good, right? All of you have the potential all of you, according to the Bible, all of you have the potential to shift into a different gear 
where you will want to control and overthrow your husband. And for some of you, as soon as you hear that, you go, gulp. Because you're thinking, yeah, that's me. Then there's some of you going, not me. That's just not the way I, I roll, right? Trust the word of God. It is there. It is in you. God says, your desire will be to control your husband, to rule your husband, but he will rule over you. And hence, we have the conflict and the tension. Well, let's think about this problem. For men, the two environments where we should have been the most successful, our work world and our relationship with our wives, according to Genesis 3, both of those environments have been cursed. But you see, because we have this image of God thing in us, we just won't give up. We still go out there and we try to, we try to conquer the marketplace, you know. We're like, forget everybody else. I'm going to set goals. I'm going to make it happen. I am going to show everybody I will succeed. I will be the exception. And in that process of being successful in the marketplace, we also meet a woman. And we fall in love. And we look around and everybody's getting divorced and everybody's fighting and everybody's complaining about their marriage and everything in us says, don't do it. And everything in society says, don't do it. But we think, I'll be the exception. I'm going to make my marriage work. I'll make it work even if it kills me. And we're like that because we are so determined to fulfill our God given. See, we don't know that's what it is, but that's what's driving us. It's this desire to fulfill our God-given desire to lead and to subdue and to win and to conquer and to make progress. So what happens is we charge into these uh, two cursed environments just determined that we are going to make it work. And understand, when we do this, something begins to happen in the mind of a man. And everything that I've said so far brings us to this point. Understand, when a man begins to struggle in his work environment, and when he goes home and he begins to feel tension in this relationship where he's supposed to have a helper, but she isn't really helping. In fact, she's kind of working against him. In fact, she's actually hurting him. All of a sudden, a battle begins, and a principle takes effect. I want to give you the principle this weekend, and then we're going to unpack it, and we're going to explore it more next week. This, this week's kind of like an introduction, kind of like laying the foundation. Next week, we'll talk about the application, but here's the principle. The environment in which a man feels the most competent will capture his heart, his time, his attention, and his affection. Let me give that to you again. The environment in which a man feels the most competent will capture his heart, and eventually, his time, and eventually, his attention, and in some cases, his affection. Now, ladies, this is what you need to know. I'm going to tell you something about your man. This is a great book to pick up if you don't have it yet. I'm going to tell you something about your man that you don't know. There are certain environments that men are just drawn toward. We don't decide to be drawn toward them. We just are. It could be our work, it could be our career, it could be a hobby, it could be a relationship. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But we're drawn to that environment, we're drawn to that relationship because we are comfortable there. And we never decided to be comfortable there. We didn't say, that's where I'll be comfortable. 
we're just drawn there. It just happens. It's a place where we feel confident. It's a place where we feel good about ourselves. And right now I can feel the walls going up, so ladies, come on, bring them back down. Just hang with me, okay? And those environments where we feel the most competent to fulfill this image of God thing in us, to lead and subdue and conquer, those environments will capture our hearts. And if we're not careful, it will capture our time and attention. And sometimes, sometimes even our affection. See, if you walk out of here with nothing else this weekend, women, understand this. Men are like acceptance magnets. And what I mean by that, that means if we're in an environment where we feel accepted, if we're in an environment where we're made to feel competent, if we're in an environment where we've been given the freedom to lead and, and to take charge, understand that environment just pulls us in. And I'm going to tell you, through 30 years of counseling, most Christian women have no idea how strong that pull is. Now, why is this so important for you ladies to know? I think two reasons. First of all, you have no idea, ladies, the power you could have in our lives if you were just sensitive to this principle. You have no idea the impact you can make in our lives if you're just sensitive to this principle. And second, maybe more importantly, this means that you and your husband aren't the only two factors in the equation. When it comes to your marriage, it's not just you and your husband. See, this isn't just a power struggle in your home. This isn't just a matter of he needs to be a better leader and you need to be a better follower. <laughs> you got to understand there is something else out there jockeying for a position in your husband's life. So I can't stress to you how important it is to figure out how to help your man feel competent. I can't stress how important it is for you to provide the arena where your husband can lead his way and at his pace. Now, here's the good news. Here's the encouraging news. Most men, especially most Christian men, we have an incredible desire for our hearts to be drawn toward home. I mean, that's why we married you. Because at the end of the day, we just want an environment where we can, we can express this image thing that God has put in us. At the end of the day, we just want someone who will support us and be excited about the direction that we feel God is leading us. I mean, that's, that's really what we want. But when it comes to that, we can't do that without you. We desperately need your help. Because as men, although we can control where we go, and as men, we can control what we think, and we certainly can control what we do, we cannot control what is pulling our hearts. So ladies, understand when you send your man into his world feeling incompetent, when you send your man out into his world feeling like he can't do anything right, when you send your man into his world feeling like he's not a good enough leader, when you send your man into his world feeling like he's not everything that you expected him to be, you know what you're doing? It's like sending a lamb out into a forest full of wolves. And it's because when we leave a marriage environment where we don't feel competent to lead, or where we don't feel appreciated, or where there's no room for us to express this God-given desire to conquer and subdue, when we don't have that, we are set up for temptation that normally wouldn't be a problem for us. 
Normally, on any other day, we could, we could easily avoid. I mean, let me just say something here. Never, ever, ever, it is never, ever, ever, ever right to excuse our behavior because of our wife's behavior. We don't have the option to do that. But ladies, my point is we want to fulfill this thing that God has put into us. We want to lead, but this is what you need to understand, and we'll talk more about this week, next week. If you don't allow us to do this at home, we will find somewhere to lead because this is desire that God has put in us, it's too strong to ignore. Now, let me just say something here. I kid a lot about not making any decisions or having any control over my life. Let me tell you something. I am so blessed to have a wife who understands this principle. Um, my wife is probably the most competent person I know. She's one of the most intelligent people I know. She is one of the most incredible leaders I have ever been around. She is remarkably independent. I've often said if Laura woke up one morning and looked over and I was dead, she'd bury me by 10, be back at work by noon, and have a date for dinner. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, right? She doesn't need me. I'm, I'm just her boy toy, you know? But as competent as she is, as independent as she is, as self-sufficient as she is, I got to tell you, she goes out of her way to create an environment where I can lead. Now, next week I'm going to talk about how you can create that environment in your home. And we're also going to talk next week about what do you do when your husband just won't leave? Because I know there's some of you ladies are thinking this. I would love for him to lead. He just won't leave. So what do you do when your husband just won't leave? Now that's what we're going to talk about next weekend. <laughs> so you're going to have to come back. That's what we call a cliffhanger. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you because, um, because of the curse and because of the fall. There are just things that got so out of whack in our lives, in our relationships. But Father, this is what we claim. We claim your grace. Because as we've seen in some of these videos and some of the stories, as, as we saw tonight in the life of, of Bobby and April, even, even when we get so discombobulated and things are spinning out of control your grace your power has incredibly restoring power through your grace and power we can become people that we could never become without you and so as we walk through this minefield of men and women relationships, as there's people here that have been divorced because of these things and maybe before they get back into a relationship young people that one day we'll be married, and nobody's telling them these things. Father, then we go in with our eyes wide open, and we realize what we're up against. And, and we're reminded of what our sin nature can do if we don't control it and bring it under your blood and under your power. I think of what Paul said, I die daily. Father, I've always said the number one root of marriage problems in all relationships is selfishness. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I need. 
I'm not getting what I expected. So remind us of your example, Jesus Christ, who when he was abused didn't retaliate. When he was verbally abused, he didn't verbally abuse in return. He didn't take matters into his own hands, but he entrusted them to you. May you remind us as we walk out of here this weekend, that is our example. Father, I, I pray for the women who so want to be what you want them to be. And I pray for the men who so need to be what you called them to be. And Father, if men, if we're understanding and honoring, and if women are helping us create this environment where we can lead and subdue and conquer and fulfill these desires that you've put in us, your image, Father, there's nothing as couples that we cannot overcome because you're that kind of God. So we trust you in your name we pray.